From, that was a bit of a Razio Fantasia. Yes, very South Australian. That needs to be in the intro. And welcome to the Empire Dynasty League Unnamed Corporate Sponsor Podcast. We're back for the sixth time. Who would have thought we'd come this far? And uh, as always, we're joined by Christopher Keane. How are you, mate? Hello, Ben. I'm good, mate. Good to be here. How is that unnamed sponsor going? It's it's going well. It's definitely paying the bills at the moment. It's uh, it's helping keeping this podcast run uh, past the anticipated three episodes I think we thought we'd get to. But um, hopefully their legal battle uh, eventually sorts itself out so we can actually use their name. But for now, we've got to keep going with what the law dictates. And uh, of course, we've got Brody here who's uh, just come off a birthday recently. He's a very fresh-faced birthday boy here. Welcome back, Hoddick. How are you? Good to be here, boys. Best part of the weekend, yes. I've joined the Dirty 30 Club. So, good good day all round. But haven't we got a good episode in today? Just starstruck we were, listening to these blokes who were up ahead. <laughs> I like, you just said that uh, this is the best part of your week and you celebrated your 30th birthday <laughs> a couple of days ago. So, mustn't have been it's, very good. It's probably a true reflection of where we're at in society <laughs> and COVID. Very true. In fact, just the other day, I turned to Amelia and said, uh, what did I even do for my birthday? I can't even, I could not even tell you what I did for my birthday this year. It's just like that. blacked out on what this year is going to be. All right, well, let's kick it off. We normally, in the past, would have kicked it off with the, uh, I guess, the member of the league based off a song, but we did explain last week that um, when you get big time, unfortunately, you've got to play by the rules. So, uh, we've had to change it up a bit. And this week, I thought I'd kick us off with uh, another interactive game for the two of you uh, and those thousands and millions of people listening uh, on the podcast networks out there. Uh, a bit of a who am I? So I'm going to give you some clues, boys. Um, there are, I've got five clues here. And I guess the earlier you can guess this player, um, the more points you get. I haven't really figured out. If there is a scoring system, but let's uh, let's just see how we go. So it's an NFL player. Uh, we'll kick it off. You both get a guess each clue, um, but we've got to keep it civil here. So maybe if I'm just sort of looking to you boys, whoever thinks they have a guess first, I'll throw to you. Um, almost like having buzzers without buzzers, if that even makes sense to anyone out there. Okay, so who am I? Here's the first clue. An Oklahoma Sooner alum. I was drafted 48th overall in the 2017 NFL draft. I've started well because they look stumped. It's very vague, isn't it? 48th overall, 2017 NFL draft. So there's some clues there for you. Next clue. All right. In my, thir- in my three NFL seasons, I have finished as an RB1, 2, and 3, playing at least 14 games in each of them. Brody. I will go with... Sir Joe Mixon. I thought I made the clues hard enough there, but you've actually got it in the second one there. Damn you. Well, I'll keep reading. You ruined the game, mate. Go, Of course, I would have said Joe Mixon as well. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I could see it on the tip of your tongue. Uh, My next clue was last year I scored 79.6% of my team's running back fantasy points. I accounted for 84% of my team's rushing attempts. 
and 7.7% of my team's total target percentage, which was actually 38th of all RBs last year. You've timed this well there, Benny, because Joe might be in the the newsreel here. Not for all the right reasons, too. There might have been a theme behind why I picked this player. What do you reckon, Keeney? I was going to say, he also accounts for 100% of Cincinnati's migraines right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's one stat that he's holding. Definitely. He's got a he's got a career win loss of fourteen and thirty. And he's oh, going wow. currently in uh, redraft leagues with an ADP of the one eleven, which is almost where he went in our dynasty league, I think. Well, he's definitely Yes, he did. And he's definitely might have a hundred percent of their migraines, but he doesn't have a hundred percent of their salary cap, that's for sure. No. So yeah, if he if he is holding out, maybe instead of actual migraines, there's not too many numbers there that are all that positive for a bloke who's trying to potentially drive up his value. But we'll see how it all plays out. But let's launch into the NFL news. It's probably the most news we've actually had in a podcast. So we're not just <laughs> trying to stretch out any little detail we can this week because there's finally some football being played and being prepared for uh what are we about a uh two weeks off is it mm-hmm. about that yeah almost two weeks off Nearly the season there. starting how exciting hopefully we get more than a couple of games all right adam gase has come out and said he's looking to ride frank gore um lev bell already reportedly unhappy so we can see this is gonna end beautifully for the jets there they actually traded a sixth rounder for Kalen balage which is that's absolutely gobsmacking. I mean, we've talked down some of the trades in our league and how uh, ridiculous they were for some teams, but surely the Dolphins are just absolutely laughing their asses off with that one there. There's a, a New York beat writer who has documented the relationship of Gase and Bell, and he's up. this is the 16th little spat that they've had either... Um, during games or on social media. So there is a really healthy relationship going on there at the Jetland. And question without warning, is there anyone in the league that reminds you of Adam Gase in our dynasty league, just off the top of your head? If I was going for looks, I'd say Steve Mann has a bit of Gase about him. <laughs> He'll be filthy with that comparison. <laughs> wow. who, did you, who did you have in mind, Keeney? No, I was just thinking with the awful trades and, you know, that's all I need to say. But can I just say, as a LaMichael or Lamical Pirine owner, I just need Adam Gase to get away from New York. Get him out of there. That guy has no idea what he's doing. He pays big money for Lev Bell and then decides he doesn't want to use running backs or he doesn't want to utilise him. It's just it's staggering. The the other person I was going to pick um, that I originally had picked for the Who Am I was Frank Gore, but the, the obvious clue was uh, in the last decade, and that kind of that kind of <laughs> narrows down the field of, of running backs who have been playing for the last decade, and that's not even his full career. There were he, that was he had better seasons behind in the previous decade. That's how long that bloke's been around for. But anyway, let's keep moving. Uh, Daryl Williams. The other D Williams for the Chiefs. He's looking to be the number two running back in Kansas City. So um, I know that I spent a lot of my preseason fab to get um, McCoy there, but 
I was never really thinking that he was going to be a long-term play. It was disposable cash there. But who has Daryl Williams? Do you guys know? Yeah, the Adam Gase himself has Daryl Williams. Steve Mann. Ah, Steve Mann. <laughs> well, he'll, he'll be licking his lips, so to speak, with Daryl Williams looking as the number two there. I know there's a lot of talk about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at the moment. If, too much, if you ask me. He's overtaken Miles Sanders as the most hyped player before a snap's even taken place. So Daryl Williams could uh, be off to a fast start there because he's at least had reps in that offense. Uh, Matt Nagy has come out and said that he's going to leave the QB job for week one, an absolute mystery between Foles and Trubisky. So it's wide open there. Um, I think that will just be a constant story for this season of who's going to get the start there. So what what are our early thoughts? Who do you think is going to get the starting nod there week one? Oh, I've made my thoughts. I think Trubisky will. But does the league need any more reason for Scooter and Papa to have a debate? Seriously. (laughs) Well, I I do like it because I get a bit sick of when those two team up and just talk about dim cowboys. I get a bit sick of hearing... You know, one of them just teeing up a little stat and the other one knocking it out of the park. So it's about time there was some friction between the two. I'm, uh, I'm going to agree with you that Trubisky gets the start, but I don't think it's going to last very long. Maybe yeah, one, max two could weeks. Be, could be swapping all year round, mm. which would be the worst for both yeah. owners. Well, they're at Detroit in week one too against a, an improved defense, I think. So I can see Trubisky being trotted out there few interceptions, a couple of fumbles, and we'll be on the false train. Sent to the slaughter, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Devin Singletary's come up uh, with the Bills fumbling away the starting job, potentially. He's got the bit of the yips going on, and Zach Moss just breathing down his neck there. Um, So not too many positive things coming out for Singletary. And then Pete Carroll, he's at it again. Good old Petey boy. He's come out and said that Carlos Hyde will be a big factor in their offense. So who knows what to make of that team at the moment? Well, for me, that that's just the only thing I'd be worried about there is the owner of Russell Wilson. It just looks like they just continue to want to ground and pound and not use Wilson the way he should be used by him saying that and then bringing Carlos Hyde in for starters. So, um, I, yeah, it's not obviously not ideal for Chris Carson if, if Carlos Hyde's involved heavily, but also for Russell Wilson, just the way they want to play. Well, wouldn't you be more concerned that one of our very own league owners was stoked with his sixth or seventh round pick on the workhorse back in Seattle? So not sure that uh, bodes well when the coach is coming out with the big coach speak for Carlos Hyde. He bobs up all the time, big Carlos Hyde. Doesn't matter which team he goes to, the the coach loves him. Um, Anyway, let's move away from Seattle. There's no point wasting any any more time talking about them. Let's move on to the injury news uh, of the week. And there's been a bit of movement here. Um, Obviously, nearing week one, there's um, training camps been ramped up a fair bit. So you can expect a few more injuries. We'll start off in Chicago, where it it uh, wasn't looking good for David Montgomery, their lead running back. And I know Scoot was certainly worried. He got carted off at practice um, this week. And it it was feared to be a pretty awful injury. But it's come back only a groin strain, just the Nick Chubb. Um, and just looks like a two to four week injury at this stage. So relief for Scooter, relief for the Bears and relief for David Montgomery there. We move on to Ronald Jones, who's had a little bit of a foot complaint, but 
not too serious. Any further in, info or input from um, A, the Ronald Jones owner, and B, the Keyshawn Vaughan owner in the house? <laughs> no, this was, a, this was just some late mail um, today, but uh, no, not, not too concerned with that one. Ben, have you got a bit of a rise there? Nah, not at all. This is uh, it's just an excuse, if any, for the reason as to why he won't be the starter in Tampa Bay. There's not a chance he won't be the starter there, but we'll, we'll push on. We will push on. We'll push on to another one of uh, Hod's humdinger running backs, and that is Kenyon Drake, um, who was in a moon boot or a precautionary boot uh, for most of this week, which was, I think you would know more about it, Hod, but they tend to do that even if this injury is not too serious. So I don't think there's a whole lot of concern there. He's come out saying he's, he'll be ready to go week one. I got a little excited as the Chase Edmonds owner there for a little bit, but I think it looks like Drake's going to be okay. Um, George Kittle, bit of hamstring tightness. Again, they're saying he's okay. They just wanted just to monitor what he's doing, but there was a little bit of tightness there, but he should be fine for week one as well. Jonathan Swift slash DeAndre Swift. He's <laughs> probably the big one. Um, just because he's missed quite a few practice in a row, I think seven in a row with that mysterious foot injury. Um, so I think Ken, um, Kerryon Johnson's going to be the, the the lead back early on in the season, and then and then maybe it's Swift who takes over. Nice. Uh, I'll, I'll quickly add in here because we haven't got it in the news, but um, one that I just remembered is Debo Samuel is on track, looking to be back for the mm. season opener potentially. So. Pretty promising signs for someone who's dealing with a Liz Frank, which, as uh, you know, Keeney, with all the AFL players who have had Liz Franks, not really a great injury for someone who relies on speed. And uh, Jalen Hurd and Brandon Ayuk both out injured as well. So their wide receiver depth at the 49ers at the moment is in absolute shambles. So really, I don't know if you can rely on any of their wide receivers or at least the first half of the season with all the injuries going on there at the moment? Um, I'll just straighten this up there. Not actually a Liz Frank for Debo. That would be a lot more serious. Um, it's actually the Jones fracture. And this is a typical wide receiver injury to the, um, the little toe, if you'd like. So um, don't get too excited with the straight running. You can. Um, that's not the challenge with this injury. It's the lateral movement. So... Um, a bit to play out for him still, but um, it's still encouraging that he's so far along already. Um, Joe Mixon, we sort of touched on. Um, not sure what's what to make of that yet with, with the migraines or if he's just holding out or what the go is. But when you take him with your first pick, as um, Steph did, that's that's got to send some nerves through there, um, you would think, because we, we try not to, you know, go for those risky picks up the top. Um, Melvin Gordon still um, sitting out with the sore rib, so yeah, I think we'll. I think Kenny, you might have a nice little play there with Philip Lindsay early in the season, because um, Gordon's going to take a bit of time to get get involved or humming as you like. Um, and then the Eagles O line, geez, they've had a tough run, which annoys me because I've got them for the division title this year. You know, little side bet, but um, yeah, they've been hit pretty hard along the offensive line with. Brooks and now Dillard out for the year. Um, old boy Peters might have to slide over to the left side again um, with, with this injury. So um, are you guys going to be moving um, Sanders down 
uh, after this sort of injury or you're not too worried about um, the O-line and their impact? He's an interesting one, probably more so in redraft. He may bump down a few spots, I think, in Dynasty, less concerned about it, um, especially with Matt's team who has him. Um, I don't think he'd be too worried. I think he's going to be the guy once he gets healthy, but the question is, can he get healthy and stay healthy? Yeah, I agree. I think that um, if anything, it just impacts his season this year, at least the first part of it, especially since he himself is dealing with an injury. But I think like what the Eagles have done since it's come out with his lower body injury or whatever ambiguous sort of way they described it, they could have easily brought someone in um, and they didn't. And they keep going back to the fact that he's their workhorse back. So I think it does prove long-term he's still a really good prospect, but um, yeah, it might give him a bit of a knock for how he starts the season. Yeah. I think you nailed it there. We, We should pay attention a lot more to the actions that these teams are making and the transactions. But um, I think the key takeaway with all these injuries is teams are being super cautious with them, um, given there's no preseason. We won't really know whether these are serious or not, um, and as they look to be holding them out until week one. So that uh, wraps up the injury news. Um, just the last little bit of league news. Uh, Keeney, you've uh, made a little trade with Camo. Uh, do you want to talk us through that one, mate? Yeah, I did. I traded Nikhil Harry out for um, a second round selection, which is the DFS. A um, couple of things from my point of view, I liked Nikhil Harry. Um, I, sorry, I liked his potential um, as a first round wide receiver from last year who was injured for most of the year. I thought um, in that system, he had a chance to rebound from a pretty awful rookie year. Um, but with that said, um, and I don't like to to react too much to camp news, but when it's negative, um, it pricks my attention, I suppose you'd say. Um, and just the fact that he went missing for a few weeks, after uh, a few days, a few of the senior receivers are um, commenting on his commitment, um, et cetera, um, had me a little bit worried. So I reacted and tried to trade him out. Um, may have gone a little early, but... I will say with with the DFS second round selection, I think that's a I quite like that selection. Um, I think he he's got Tim Papa and Scoot these first three weeks, so he's looking down the barrel of zero and three early against three teams that want to win it this year. Owen, um, he's already he's already got um, Joe Mixon. We've talked about who could be a holdout. DeAndre Swift, we've talked about who's injured, and Darnold, who has got receivers falling around all around him at the minute. Um, could be an, a tough early, could be a tough early stretch for the DFS. So with that pick, if it was just a late second, I wouldn't have done it. But I think that could be a nice second. And just for transparency, you would have um, told Camo about all of those red flags you were concerned with as in the lead up to that trade, yeah? Well, I sent the trade through to Camo. This is a true story. I sent it through to Camo. Um, didn't even discuss it with him, and he clicked accept. And as soon as it went through, I texted him saying didn't even want to talk about it. And he said, I don't know. I'm not here to talk about it. I know the risks that are there. I hope, hopefully he hardens up and let's see what happens. I love trading. <laughs> that was okay, his reaction. <laughs> and this is on the back of a bloke who not that long ago said he was done with trading. And <laughs> in the same day that he uh, had that trade with you, he'd already sent me a trade offer earlier in the day too. So 
let's be honest, we all know he's not done with trading. He's the furthest person in the league who's done with trading. That actually reminded me, we've missed some injury news there. Mike Williams is out for an extended period, I think. Another one of his Camo's receivers that he got in. Uh, forgot about that one. So if anyone has some receivers, they'd be willing to flick him. I'm sure you can get something for him. Well, that might be why he went and got another one off me, I guess. Yes. Maybe. Has he got many draft picks left, Camo? I feel like he's just, like you, Hod, sent them all away. I've only sent three. I've still got You've got your fourth round pick. That's it. Yeah, but what about the years after that? You know, that's That's the window, isn't it? In two to seven years. That's what we're looking at, boys. (laughs) The DFF window, as we like to call it. All right. Well, that's uh, that was a long, long news that we had to get through today. But uh, I think things that will definitely be of interest to the many, many listeners out there. But one thing that we're probably more interested in with this pod is getting the people from the Bo Callahan division on to have their right of reply. And boy, did they have their right of reply. Uh, some hot takes, some absolute swipes on the way through to every single league member. So it's definitely worth sticking around and hearing. And, uh, and we'll kick it off with our first one. And we're here with the first member of the Bo Callahan division. We've got Jake on the line. Welcome to the pod, Jake. How are you, mate? Very well, mate. Thank you for having me, boys. It's our pleasure. Jake. We are very excited to kick off with analysing your team or getting your right of reply, I should say, on your team because there's a lot of, uh, a lot of things going on with you and uh, your team management in the lead up to this draft and during and even after. So first of all, kick us off, mate, with what are your thoughts on our review of your team? Uh, no, I thought your review was was. Pretty good, pretty spot on. I wasn't uh, offended uh, in any way. Um, I was pretty happy with how I went, to be honest. The only thing I was like, it sounded like the the rap that you gave my team and then versus the rankings didn't quite add up. I felt like the rap I got and then all of a sudden two of you said, I'm going to come second. I was like, doesn't really quite compute. But outside of that, um, I thought it was pretty, pretty reasonable. And who was the one person... Who was the one person who said yes. first, mate? Who was that? That was that was that was you, Betty okay. Boy. I'm just checking. That, just that, checking. Was, that was you. Consistent well, with your thoughts, I would say. I'll speak to the uh, one or the other who uh, said you'd come second. That that's probably more a reflection of how deep and how much quality this division is. Um, so mm. you've got your work cut out for you, mate. Well, I think it's more of the you're both trying to be really clever. And just think outside the square and, and get a hot take on a podcast, to be completely honest with you. But you, you can have your bait. opinion. Yeah, a bit of clickbait. Yeah. <laughs> there, might, there might be a bit of that. Um, yeah. Now, Jake, great to have you on, mate. And also, can I just say, um, welcome to the league. And we're pumped that Thank you're you. a part mm. of it. It's great to have such a savvy operator uh, in the league. You've certainly turned some heads early, um, which is good to see. But... Just in terms of your overall draft strategy going into it, um, first-time dynasty player, pick six to start with. Um, what was the overall strategy uh, from a holistic point of view? And, and maybe just at pick six there, what were, you, what were you thinking early days? Yeah, well, in terms of overall um, strategy, I probably only had a pre-draft strategy, which was to get back in and strengthen my position for, for this draft. Um, in terms of uh, during draft strategy, I just wanted to be as, as flexible as possible. 
Um, in terms of pick six, um, I, I was trying not to predict what happens ahead, trying to just control what you can control. And I wasn't super surprised. Um, I, it's, this goes probably going against the rest of my strategy. I would have taken a Lamar or a Patrick Mahomes with pick six, even though I would, what, didn't want to target quarterbacks throughout the rest of my draft. If I didn't get one of the top two, I was happy to wait. Okay. And then when Zeke was there and available at pick six, I thought it was a bit of a gift um, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have taken Zeke ahead of Michael Thomas for sure. So I was, I was super stoked when I got Zeke. And pretty much outside of that, it was to take the best available player. I mean, probably had, I had a draft board, probably like everybody else, um, but position, but also overall. And so when it came to my turn to pick, sort of look at that overall draft board and pick a guy pretty close to the top normally. Bit of early early divisional shade just on Manny there, just definitely taking Zeke <laughs> over Michael Thomas. I like to see it. Good. And uh, I'm not sure that um I'm not sure that a lot of people in this league value Papa's opinion, but uh, he was obviously <laughs> pretty high on Zeke at pick three there. So I think mm-hmm. I, I also agree it's a huge gift that he's slid to you at six. Um, but let's move on to you now. Like we, we see you, you were the first trade of, of this um, league's history, if you like. Um, so we look at you as a bit of an aggressive drafter. Um, did you find the actions of other teams having an impact on the moves you made in the draft? Nah. No, I honestly... <laughs> Straight up. Yeah. Yep. No, I, I, similar to what I mentioned before about you can't control other people and what they're doing. So um, I wasn't trying to predict who was going to go ahead of my picks, but just more looking at how many players are going to go rather than trying to pinpoint, oh, I reckon there's going to be a run of quarterbacks coming up here or receivers. You know, there's seven picks before mine. How do I position myself? So I tried to manoeuvre myself um, a few times and didn't really bother me what other people were doing. I, I honestly didn't take much notice, to be completely honest. Fair enough, yeah. Um, well, you have moved around a fair bit on the draft board mm. when you do look at it, when you click on your name and see where all your picks went. Not many going in the spot where your actual draft picks originally were. So, as Hod said, the first person in this league to execute a trade, and Steph's probably sitting here listening going, no, I was part of it too, but we all know that Steph would never have been the one to initiate that that trade proposal. That would have been all you going his way and, uh, sh- you know, showing the initiative. I don't think uh, Steph's really the initiative type. Um, talk us through your the trade pre-draft. Um, you, you did say that you just wanted to get back in. So did it take a lot? I mean, it, you're not aware of this, but this is a man who in redraft has... Has I can't remember a time he's even executed a trade. He made zero trades in the last two years. He finished dead last and second last. Kept drafting the same players. This is not a guy who really puts a lot of thought into what he does. So how hard was it to actually pull off this trade? Because to us, it seemed like an absolute miracle that you pulled this off. No, I mean, it wasn't wasn't hard. Um, In terms of, I did definitely go to Steph. Uh, I didn't although I think everyone in the group uh, does think I, I targeted Steph. I didn't. I targeted the turn. Uh, so whoever was sitting in that position... <laughs> I didn't. Well, That's for later. We'll, we'll get into that later. Don't worry. I targeted the turn. Um, that was 
my yeah my intention is to go after that I, I thought it felt like it really set me up for for what was to come uh, I was pretty happy to make way with with future assets um pick 10 11 or 12 in the redraft next year or the the future but doesn't mean a great deal so I thought you know what if I can if I can get a Calvin Ridley in that position where I wouldn't be picking for what would be my first round pick next year I'm I'm happy to to get rid of it um so definitely happy to move around uh I, I probably did the same thing, to be honest, coming up to all of my picks is evaluating where I am and whether or not I was happy to slide two or three spots to bolster later on in the draft. Um, I did it, oh, obviously, plenty of times. You look at the draft board and I'm scattered everywhere. It was like six um, or seven times, I think, you traded. Something like that. I think yeah, you counted it on one episode. Yeah, plenty. Um, and every single time, like, I remember when I had the turn and I traded with Keeney and moved, it's because I was like, well, there's Juju... Robinson and Metcalf, but I've already taken three receivers. If one of them falls to me, I probably would have taken them. Um, and then when they all went, I was really happy to toss up between the top two running backs, which I had at Gurley or Acres. So every single time my pick was approaching, I was like, what's coming up? Can I move? Can I bolster later on? Um, I think it worked pretty well. Now, Jake, you say you wanted to target the turn, but let's be honest, if Steph was in the middle rounds, you probably would have wanted to target the middle <laughs> <laughs> um, all good and well to say that's what you wanted to do, but uh, I see what you're doing. Um, just to add on to kind of what you did, um, so you had 10 picks in the first eight rounds, so that really kind of speaks mm-hmm. to um, your strategy, which I reckon you um, you did really, really, uh, really well. Was that always kind of um, the plan? Was it in the mix to say, okay, I want to I want to bolster my top 10 rounds, and then we'll work it out from there, or was it just kind of the way it eventuated? No, it was the top 10. It was uh, trying to secure as many within that, obviously, your starting lineup uh, type of number. So it definitely was to target inside of um, the first 10 rounds. But in particular, I wanted to be in the three, four, five. I, I saw a lot of value. Um, and being a dynasty, I thought there's definitely going to be players taken well ahead of where I would take them because I want to win now. I'm not that interested in, in sort of waiting for two, three years to, to win anything. I don't. <laughs> sit around for three years to hope. So I want to win now. So in that middle range, I thought there's going to be a fair bit of value. Um, and I reckon there still was. Yep. I can, uh, I concur with that. And I've seen your operation off the field, if you like, and who knows if you'll be alive in three years, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think we can all agree. We've, we've talked about Steph far too much in this pod. So yep, let's, uh, let's talk us through how you went about your team build. So did you, pull a Timos and just chuck a running back in when you felt like it? Or did you actually have a plan of um, to balance the positions throughout? And if you want to focus on the first 10 rounds, like you've made a, um, a point on, let, let's focus on them. No, it was the whole thing in terms of uh, building out a roster. I was really keen on having uh, players on my bench that were serviceable and not an extended taxi squad. So I was happy to take like a Julian Edelman and things like that a little bit later on. Um, obviously heaps has been made about the, the super flex and the two quarterbacks and, and everything else, but you've got the option to play a second quarterback. You have to play three receivers every single week, obviously the two running backs and your flex positions. So in terms of the talent pool, I know everyone's got the option and there's points sitting there on the board in QB, but I was very, very, very happy to steer 
well clear and, and take what I could get from a quarterback point of view late and to focus on the skill positions pretty much the whole way through. Um, and that was pretty much the only strategy from a draft, from a team build point of view was to be really, really strong in that area. Tight end and tight end premium didn't bother me. Um, so was happy to sort of sit and wait. Targeted a few younger guys in that position because I don't think they get good till uh, they've been in the league for a few years anyway. Um, and that's sort of yeah, how I went about it. But very interested in being balanced the whole way through. And that I think it probably shows later on as well. Yep, yeah, nice. you were extremely balanced by taking six wide receivers before your, before your first quarterback. Um, great balance. <laughs> well, like I said, in, ter- in, terms of, in terms of balance and how many of those can actually start, I think you'd find that it is because you can only start a maximum of two, as I said, Kenny boy. So in can terms I, of balance. Can I play devil's advocate here? Because I, I do think this is just going to be an ongoing debate. Uh, for the next probably three, four years. Yeah, I agree. You've got to start three. Uh, however, I would also argue that every team in the NFL has three wide receivers that are on the field for offensive snaps with the ability to score. There's only one quarterback in 32 teams. So to me, there's a drop-off in just a numbers game. And if you do look at just fantasy scoring, quarterbacks naturally score high, whether they're good or bad. I mean, your mate Mitch Trubisky, he still finished in the top 50 Last year on arguably one of, you know, he was touted as a having a really bad season last year as one of the starting QB. So that's the way I guess I view it in that you can, you don't have to get it necessarily right with that second QB and they're still going to outperform, you know, your second, your third wide receivers. So that's just my take yeah. on it. Ben, are you, when you um, drag that Trubisky stat, because it's yep. not the first time you've mentioned it, know, is that I a like four it. point... Is that a four-point league or a six-point league? That is a four-point league, Hoddick. Nice. Do you still like the stat? No, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing is, there's also more volatility in the quarterback position. So, like you said, only one can play for each team each, each week, whereas you can find value in a guy that might you know, only play 50% of snaps you know, for the first half of the year and then due to circumstance becomes more valuable and that's in both the running back and the receiver sort of position. So I think your argument could be flipped pretty quickly onto the QB anyway. But then in saying that, aren't you saying that there is greater ability to find value in wide receiver later in the draft because of the sheer number of them versus the drop-off in QB? Uh, I still think the top tier and the amount of you've got to play is a bigger factor for me in terms of fantasy. Yeah. All right. Righto. I'm actually really keen to see how this plays out this this in the following years. Right. Let's let's change tack here a little bit and talk about your trade for a QB um, with Ben, <laughs> which is obviously a great segue. Um, so yeah. let's let's break this down quickly. So you trade for Derek Carr, which I'm I actually quite like it. I think he's going to be a pretty solid. QB option for either for your team now or in the future. Um, mm-hmm. Talk us through how that kind of went about and just kind of your mindset um, going after him, um, so I suppose, obviously post-draft um, and looking yeah. at kind of what you took before him versus what you ended up giving for him, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So the so Carr is one of the quarterbacks that I actually targeted and, and wanted late. Uh, we didn't probably get into that deep in my draft, but 
and you mentioned this, I think, Keeney, in your assessment, the, the Miller pick ahead of Carr. Yeah. That was a really arrogant pick, and I'm happy to sort of put my hand up <laughs> and say that. Um, I took Miller as a nice-to-have and as a, as a Chicago Bear, but I had every intention of picking Derek Carr in that exact spot and then thought, you know what? He's every chance to come back to me because there's so many quarterbacks off the board already. Everyone sort of well catered for. It was Hodd and I that had really taken the less QB approach. I didn't think he was going to take him uh, with his next pick, which he took, I think, Coleman. So I was like, that's arrogance. And it didn't pan out. <laughs> and I, um, I, can, I can just add to that because I'm the person who took Derek Carr two picks before you on that mm-hmm. way back. And that's exactly was my thinking behind it, that I think that you guys were hoping that if you keep leaving, you keep leaving, you keep leaving it, that it will fall in your lap. And I didn't want you, mm. I didn't want to reward that sort of way of drafting. I wanted to sort of burn you a little bit for, for leaving it, cutting it too <laughs> close, cutting it too fine. So I'm glad that I did uh, burn you in the end. <laughs> I'll just clarify, don't bring me into this because I didn't look at Derek Carr once on my draft board. No. <laughs> and that's where you I went wrong. Strategy. I just meant strategy. And in terms of the trade, um, Let's be honest, there's half the league which is good to trade with or at least have a conversation about trading and the other half, which is absolute <laughs> flat-out rubbish. So there's a few guys that were hoarding quarterbacks that are just so unreasonable it's out of control. Um, and Who then, are they? Oh, where do you start? The McMahons aren't great. Papa's <laughs> a spastic. Um, oh, no, that's probably it. That's <laughs> <laughs> It's actually a really good segue into um, something else we wanted to just discuss with you mm-hmm. whilst we've got you on the pod. Is yeah. Gee whiz, there's a few little birdies just tweeting tweeting about <laughs> some real low ball sort of stuff from you, mate. Do you want to explain any um, mm. any of these trades that you've thrown out? Now, I'm, I can reveal one to the listeners if you'd like, but gee whiz, you're starting to get a well, There's only one. There was only one trade which I accidentally clicked on, which was obviously an accident. So if you're talking about me trying to trade for Baker Mayfield for nothing. <laughs> well, yeah, I think, I think we can put that one. I've, I've even got a screenshot of that. It's just you, you flat yeah. out asked for Baker and didn't want to give me anything. So I thought there was a bit of arrogance in that, that one, but I also chalked that up that to maybe a, you just made a mistake there. Yeah, no, that was an accident. But outside of that, I actually don't think there's... In terms of the way that I see uh, the value of some of these QBs, I'm not attacking like these top tier QBs who are going to win me the league. I'm talking about guys that are in the bottom half and I'm trying to provide other people with potentially some depth. Now, no one's kidding themselves. I'm not trading like for like, but it's about the value of what I'm trying to trade, I think, with a lot of these people and they don't get it. So you can tell me some of the low ball offers I've made. They don't get it, Penny. Yep, that's it. Um... <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's put some context, Keeney. What what's let's, some of the? Okay, well, I recently received a counter offer from your good self, Jake. Anthony no. Miller for Tua is a real yeah. interesting trade that I would. I oh, know that was probably piss... need another yeah, three no, first rounders. That was a piss take based on the fact that I thought the trade you offered me was ludicrous. Ooh. Oh, okay, no. Well, what was the Not. trade that yeah. Keeney originally offered? Because there's you, two sides every time. I can't remember, but that 100% was is it taking the mickey because I thought you're kidding yourself. No, it was a reasonable trade as I always... No, now we're talking now, reasonable. I will find it. But in the meantime, there's another person yeah. that seemed to think that you tried to trade for one of his tight ends for fab budget. 
What's that all about? It was a, no, I, it was a package including fab budget. This is exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> it, was, it was a player, a pick and fab for a tight end. Fuck, Hold on, I'm getting, I'm getting correspondence as we speak <laughs> from that said person. Yeah. Sorry, it wasn't for a tight end. It was for a QB. And again, it was always a package. I'm not offering simply fab. I was under the impression it was Gardner Minshew um, was fab. Oh, please. This is what I'm talking about. McMahon's. Oh, my God. <laughs> ben, <laughs> go. Oh, no, that, what was the offer? Full, full I can't remember. I was trying to come up with, oh, it was for a couple of receivers and I was trying to uh, allude him to the fact that he's starting Corey Davis. And I said, all of my receivers on my bench are better than Corey Davis. So how about I provide <laughs> you with a receiver and I'm pretty sure it was like a future third and some fab, right, for Gardner Minshew, which I thought was well and truly reasonable given his, he may not have a job in 12 months time and it was just simply back up for me and it gets thrown this is what i'm talking about you can't trade with these people i just i've blacklisted them they're done i love this <laughs> i love the fact that this league is newly formed you are sort of newly thrown into the mix with a whole bunch of people from our redraft league and there's already uh shots fired and oh. do not <laughs> do not <laughs> trade with <laughs> Deals already put on the table. This is fantastic. Now, this is for Papa. I know he'll mm. be listening to this. Now, Papa talked a big game, was puffing his chest out. You blokes have no idea. Your reviews were terrible. And then comes on here and he was an absolute <laughs> saint. Whereas Jake's come on, he said he's going to tear us a newie. And to have a look at this go. So kudos to you, Jake. Um, Thanks, mate. Uh, let's move on to a um, bit of a hypothetical. But if you had the number one pick, firstly, uh, I've got a couple of questions here. But if you had the number one pick, who would you have taken? Christian McCaffrey. I'm starting yeah, to feel like this question is really just to pump up Hod's tyres. He's like, well, who would you take? <laughs> and everyone confirms what he did. And you go, oh, look at me. I made the right choice, boys. All right. I don't yeah. believe I put that question in there. If you had, had the number two pick. Number two would have, yeah. Number two would have been a little bit uh, more to think about. You did say if uh, Lamar and Mahomes were there, they were the two that you would have been interested in. So I'm interested as someone who, like, pushed quarterbacks till later, but you clearly liked those two guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I reckon one, two, or three. I still would have gone McCaffrey, Barkley, Zeke. But from four onwards, if I was in one of those positions, I would have been really happy to take the quarterback. there. As I said, I would have taken either of them at six had, yep. had either of those two been there. So, But the top three for me was probably still locked in. You, you com- you're confirming what you said. You, you love the top-tier quarterbacks and then it's sort mm. of weighted out and try and get some value later. So let's talk about who you've seen as value a bit later in the draft with big Benny Roth coming back. So this this is a devastating baseball injury what he's had it's he's Mm. ripped the triceps off the bone um the recent news it's all positive from pittsburgh he's pain-free he's he's on the mend um but the recent news today was he's shorting throws in camp so firstly give us your thoughts on benny roth um and then I'll, i'll move on to something else thoughts on benny roth was QBs left on the board because that was the end of a QB run was between him, Haskins, 
Carr love Trubitsky. Now, Carr, although I had him higher, this, this is a little bit counter to what I said earlier, is I predicted that a lot of people would be avoiding him because I had Carr ahead of a lot of quarterbacks taken ahead of him. So I figured once he started falling, he's not on these guys' draft boards. So that was a little bit more of a boom or bust type selection. And as I said, I was targeting Carr later on. You're trying to play, trying to play the ADP game type thing there. Yeah, absolutely. So if, if, if he comes back and throws the ball 35 times a game, uh, I think Juju back in the slot is a better option and took the risk. Yep. That, was the, that was the reason for that selection. And finally, now it's been well documented. We know Benny Roth isn't the best quarterback in the division because Lamar is uh, floating <laughs> around there. Who? Yeah. But is, is Benny Roth possibly the fourth best quarterback in the AFC North? Is he the fourth best? So we've got Burrow and I, I can answer this. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Nah, yeah. Nah, nah, I've got. I've got two of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think at this point in his career, the only one that would be a question mark just because he's unproven is Burrow. I, I, I reckon the other two are ahead of Roethlisberger. Um, it's no secret that I tried back, trading for Baker Mayfield for nothing. So <laughs> I'm still in on the Baker train as well. And then Lamar's in the category all of an, all on his own in that division. I would say that you, you're not on the Baker train. If you've tried to trade for nothing, he's clearly going <laughs> very highly rated. No, I, uh, I would have traded, tried trading for or, something. Or but. he doesn't rate my <laughs> trading abilities. I don't know. Which one is it? No, he's, he's probably the fourth QB in that conference. But you know what? That doesn't mean a great deal if he's going to give me weeks, especially when he's playing at home, of being, you know, that streaming type quarterback, which is which is what you're hoping for. Yeah, yeah. All what right. Well, for. let's uh, let's bring this to a close with our last sort of questions that we ask everyone. In that, uh, what pick are you the happiest with? First of all, in the draft, and then further to that, what do you think you got the best value pick out of? My favorite pick of the draft was Calvin Ridley at the yep. end of the third round. Um, he's probably the guy that I've wanted more than anyone else in this dynasty. Um, he's probably almost my, my value pick I see as well. In terms double. Of the the Dubai. Yeah. To be honest. Well, I, typical owner. I loved all of my picks in terms of value. And that was the strategy <laughs> that I went for. Yeah. Um, but when it got to that section of, of the draft and, you know, there's guys like Kenny Gulladay, being taken ahead of him, I thought, you know what? I've lucked out and I'm going to get him here. Nice. I like that as a double answer there. And then finally, uh, I don't know if you're going to answer this one, but if you had your time again in the draft, what would you do differently? I think you might have touched on it a little bit earlier. Yeah. I. It's hard to say because I, I got Carr in the end. Uh, so hindsight's twenty twenty, And I've thought about that pick a bit. I'm pretty happy... It's probably the one thing I would change because I did manage to to trade my way back into future drafts, which I wasn't expecting either. So yep. even though I traded and gave up the farm, I got back into the first round. And as has been touched on, it was a pretty good first round pick and being Maddie Max pick as well. So he's probably talking top three or four pick uh, for next year. Um, so that's disappointing that I, I had to, I undid some of my good work in in trading. 
Um, so I'm pretty happy, but that would be the one thing. If I was to change anything, that would be it. More shots nice. fired uh, from, from Jake on the pod. Oh, I know. Love to see it. Um, I'll real big fan of the Mars. As individuals, I am, just not as fantasy owners. <laughs> yeah, you're not the first person to say that. You won't be the last. Now, <laughs> and I'll just, I'll just double back to the Baker Mayfield trade offer. Now, Ben, I'd be worried if I was you because clearly he's preyed on the weak already and he might just see you as another one that's <laughs> real weak in the trade space. So, oh boy. Um, let's just finish this off with, um, I'm not going to ask you who's going to win the division, but instead I'm going to say, make your case for your team winning it. Well, the short answer is I have the best team. Um, now, in terms of my, I think my balance over the, the rest of the division doesn't really make sense. I mean, Dalvin Cook, so you talk about, we're going through the team that two of you predicted to beat mine. Dalvin Cook still hasn't signed. Devonta Adams doesn't know who his quarterback's going to be in a year. Goladay plays for Detroit. Alan Robertson has Trubisky. David Montgomery's injured. James Conner had cancer. Like that's his top six picks, and and I'm meant to be I'm I'm meant to be worried about like come on. You just you just said Devante Adams doesn't know who he's got next year. We're talking about this year winning it. Yeah, but did you listen to the other five? It's yeah. his only oh, hope is next year. Oh, blow on James Conner. Gee, <laughs> <laughs> you need to get off this podcast before you say something you're going to regret, mate. James Conner is fragile. How about let's go with that? Right. You can maybe cut that back in later. James Conner is fragile. <laughs> and then he's got Teddy Bridgewater and Matthew Stafford, whose quarterbacks aren't any better than mine. He's gone to Detroit stack. I hate to cut you off. I hate to cut you off, mate, but (laughs) you've you've taken up more time than Matt McMahon, which we didn't think was possible. Uh, But you're clearly strong, passionate about this uh, fantasy league, about your team. Uh, You could honestly have your own pod, I reckon, Mm. to just talk about all the things that you did in your team. And I reckon people (laughs) are keen to listen too. And just the amount of shots that you fired... You clearly didn't come into this league to make friends. Um, that's for sure. <laughs> but we've loved having Got you on, friends. And, uh, thanks for having and me, boys. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for being part of it all. Uh, absolutely loved it. Anytime. Off to an absolute flyer with our interviews here, but we're going to take a quick pause to hear a word from our sponsors. As Father Time places a gentle hand on your shoulder, close your eyes. Summer breeze, childhood memories, rolling hills. It's time to come home. Papa Springs Retirement Village is waiting for you. Home to the aging, tired and weary, who are ready to be at rest. Nostalgia, companionship, lapping ocean. While your friends and family are waiting for you on the other side, why not wait in comfort. It's just a little longer. Papa Springs. Come home to Papa and spend your twilight years in peace. Papa Springs Retirement Village is a subsidiary of our unnamed corporate sponsor. All right, we are lucky enough, everyone, to be joined by the general manager himself of the Sensible Haircuts, Steve Mann. How are you, mate? Welcome to the pod. 
Yeah, good, Benny. Uh, I, I'd say it's good to be here, but you've left me sitting in the waiting room of Zoom for the last 40 minutes. So I'm just going to say I'm in a bit of a lukewarm mood at the moment, but uh, gl glad you finally got the program. We didn't leave you. Jake the Snake just took his opportunity oh, and then... Did he ever? My God. I, I don't know why you're wasting valuable podcast minutes on also ran teams in the division, but your podcast, do what you want with it. <laughs> Well, it's nice to, it's, we haven't formally met, so it's nice to put a face to a name and you're living up to your team name. It's a very sensible haircut for COVID times, that's for sure. Um, but we'll, we'll kick it off. Uh, what were your thoughts on our review of your team? Did we get remotely close or what do you think? Didn't think a lot of it, to be honest. Um, I, I kind of knew what to expect from Keeney and Benny. I've known them for a while and... Um, you know, you don't get a lot of value out of them. So that's pretty much what I expected. Um, I, I was kind of excited to, to hear what I was going to get from the HOD. Um, but once I sort of realised, yeah, they call you HODcast and you don't even edit this thing, shows me you probably don't have much to bring to the table either. And you pretty much lived up to my expectations. So, yeah, look, across the board, I mean, you, you've got the players, right? So there was that. Oh, just for the listeners at home also... <laughs> Um, Manny is coming to you loud and clear with a Vikings Adam Thielen top on and a Vikings mask covering his face as well. So just, just to give you all a really good visual of what's coming out of this mouth of his, it's, it's great areas early from you, Manny. Um, let's we bleed purple at the sensible haircuts, mate. That's just who we are. Oh, yeah, I've, I've come to know that. But um, good, to, good to see you select a decent receiver with your first pick. Um, just in terms of your strategy going forward and leading into this draft, um, obviously first time doing Dynasty for all of us, um, you had the, the fourth pick in the draft, which is a nice nice spot and gave you plenty of options there at pick four. Um, what was the initial strategy going into it? Yeah, look, I think I sort of had, to be honest, no idea really where to start. I haven't done Dynasty before anything anyone has. And so I sort of decided rather than, Googling a strategy, which I think well, a lot of people in the league probably did. I just sort of came up with a few principles of things that I thought, and I just tried to build a bit of a draft plan around that. So I think there was a couple of things. The first was that I sort of worked off a theory that everyone's going to be worse than we think we are. Um, we've none, none of us have done this before, and so we're probably all going to be a bit wrong. So given that, I may as well pick something that's different to everybody else because may as well, if I'm going to be wrong, we're all going to be wrong. Let's not compete over the same players. Um, the second thing was, uh, look, to be honest with you, I just felt that running backs are worthless in Dynasty. Well, time will tell if that's right or not. But a player that on average, you know, maybe a couple of years, um, three or four years from now, we're all going to be replacing our running backs across the board anyway. I'm just not going to spend draft capital on them whatsoever. Um, the third one, I reckon draftees, obviously there's a bit of an interesting byplay in there with the, taxi squad, but I feel that draftees are a bit of a lottery. Um, I, I watch Moneyball and, you know, Billy Bean and blokes like Keeney have no idea what they're doing. We all know that. And so <laughs> trying to pick a um, tr trying to pick a, a guy that you've never seen play at NFL level, to me, feels much harder than picking a second-year guy who you've figured out if they can cut it or not. So I took enough guys to fill my taxi squad, but I didn't, didn't worry too much about trying to nail the first-year guys. There's a couple, but not too many of them. Um, and then the final one, and I kind of got this from Camo, but I think the divisions are important. So through the draft, I always plan to amend my plans a little bit based on who the guys in my divisions were drafting. And one example of that was I noticed guys weren't taking QBs. So I just went a bit earlier on them because I figured I'm just going to shortchange my division. And 
enjoy for the next 10 years when I've got guys, you know, offering me running back ones to try and get out of the hole where they've drafted two starters and both of them go down with knee injuries or something. Talk about some hot takes. There's some insights for you. Uh, let, let, can we just go back to that first one? You mentioned you feel like a few league members Googled their strategy. Give us your top candidates who you think that might have been. I'll tell you who didn't. I don't reckon Jimmy Hansen did because I was in hysterics. Honestly, I, particularly as a guy that did not rate running backs, when he picks up Josh Jacobs in the first round and then he trades back into the first round and takes a guy that I had about number 40 on my draft list, I, was, I thought, well, there's a, there's a percentage booster providing I get to play him at some point this year. Um, I, felt, I felt that there was a lot of... Um, to be honest, the first couple of rounds played out a bit like a a draft in a normal league, a redraft league. Um, there was a lot of running backs going pretty high. Obviously, I didn't rate them, but I was surprised at how much others did. I thought I'd be competing a bit more for the wide receiver talent and the quarterback talent early. Um, I reckon Keeney and Benny have almost certainly come up with their own philosophies because no one else would draft a team that bad if they were listening to experts. And then I reckon pretty much everybody else has just Googled. That's my tip. Well, there we go. That's uh, that's a fair in-depth analysis of your strategy there. And I think you've managed to, I'm just looking, yep, you've clipped every single person in the first five minutes of being on. So well played there, sir. Uh, all right. So draft insights, you've, you've spoken a little bit on on the, the undervaluing of zero RB. So you pretty much have highlighted there that it's more just you've left them off because you see in the next couple of years, you'll be restocking them anyway. So is that pretty much the basis of your zero RB strategy you went in with? Yeah. I think for every, every Jim Brown, there's about 2000 Corey Schlesslings. And uh, I, I, I can barely remember how to pronounce his name. It was that bad. <laughs> and so I, I just figure we're going to replace them all anyway in a couple of years time. So I'm happy just to completely ignore that position. I think the fact that I finally took one and it was Darius Geis in the eighth round, that was clearly a mistake. I should have waited longer. So yeah. it just shows you running backs are Good completely bloke. volatile. Look, I, I, uh, I guess it's probably appropriate that I'm in the Bo Callahan division because I clearly didn't put my hundred bucks in the playbook when I sent it to him. And I learned my lesson. But, but it just, it's typical of running backs. They're just not a particularly intelligent or... Um, well-rounded member of society breed and that's the sort of results you get when you draft them. How, how, how are we going to go? Like, this is obviously an intelligent man that we're dealing with here and you've basically answered the whole agenda in your first <laughs> rundown. I appreciate that one. But uh, if I can, um, you've sort of already talked about it, um, how running backs aren't of high value to you, but was Michael Thomas at pick four always what you had planned or did the, the first three picks sort of dictate that? Well, I guess Lamar could have been in play based off what you've said so far as well. Ben, nah, this is Lam- about Lam- Manny, not you. Sorry. Yeah. L- Lamar was never in play. Um, I, I took notes when I watched Friday Night Lights a few years ago and Lamar's a big candidate for a Jason Street type injury just running <laughs> around out there. And so I uh, d- didn't want to have a bar of him. I, I, running quarterbacks, uh, in all seriousness, much, much shorter lifespan. So unless he can become a Russell Wilson and become a pass-throwing running, uh, pass quarterback later in his career, which I don't think he's got the arm to do, I didn't see a huge amount of value in him. So that's probably a wasted pick by you. I, um, I was probably always taking Michael Thomas. I would definitely have taken um, Patrick Mahomes had he been on the board, but I didn't think he'd get to four. 
I think he's the other person that I thought early picks you can build a dynasty around someone like that. Can I just say, this is absolutely refreshing. We've spent six and a half pods listening to old mate here play with his Nick Chubb about Lamar Jackson and you have just flattened him out. He is deflated here. Nothing deflating about a bloke who's going to put out 20s to 30s every week, but that's all good. I mean, you can you can have your Darius Geiser sitting on your bench, mate. That's all good. Lamar Jackson might be dead while Russell Wilson's still throwing passes. That's the way I look at it. Who, who's Russell Wilson? It's Mr. Unlimited. <laughs> He's just a nice seasoned guy to build your quarterback ranks around. I brought in a few young guys around him. Um, I, I, interest, I noted you guys did a bit of an average age, and I think I stuffed my chances up by just the steal of Rivers in the late rounds there with the average age. But I was pretty pretty happy to get Wilson just as my sort of safe bet and have a pretty young quarterback contingent around him. So I feel I've, I've got some good options at that position. Now, you had a crack at my team before, which is interesting. But um, considering I drafted one running back in my first 10 picks as well, so I'm kind of more on your side of things than, than not. I'm just hoping that... Uh, Big JT doesn't turn into Corey Schlesinger, as you said. That's one to watch for. Um, but what I and, and I just want to ask one question. You said that you know you didn't want to didn't want to take too many rookies, too too many risks. We haven't seen what they've done on an NFL field. And I look down to round five in a startup draft, and there I see a rookie quarterback off the board. Talk us through Joe Burrow. I think that. So number one, I knew I needed to get at least sort of four or five rookie, rookies at some point in the draft. I've got to fill a taxi squad or I'm wasting five spots. And I didn't want to get to the end of the draft and just be filling them with random guys that no one's heard of. Um, I, I think he looks pretty good. You know he's going to be QB1. What, what I tried to do with quarterbacks is take guys that would be QB1 in their team. So I've either got some trading capital over the course of the year. And I think I've done that. I've got four starting quarterbacks. So I don't think... I think Benny might have four starters and I think there might be one other who has four. And I reckon everybody else has two max. Um, A couple of guys also have someone competing for a position. So I feel like we all think we're going to start QBs in the, in the flex position. So everyone took two in the super flex, but if one guy goes down in any of those other nine teams, are you going to be prepared to play a wide receiver there for eight points? Or are you going to be searching for another quarterback and, if I've got four starters on my roster, I'm happy to take it. And Burrows was, you know, tick both boxes. He was a rookie, so I got to put him on the taxi squad and he was also going to be a starter all year. Yeah, I saw that you did a similar move with that Phil Rivers pick in the 16th round, I think it was. So you didn't need him, absolutely. He's probably only one, max two years on the Colts there, but it's just simply taking away starting QVs from your opposition. So I think absolutely a bit of strategy there. And I did a very similar thing with Derek Carr. I didn't need him, but I also didn't want him to fall in the lap of people that waited on QBs as well. Yeah. If, if I look at the division, I think Scoot's got Stafford and Bridgewater, which is pretty wobbly at QB. Um, Stafford's getting on a bit. Bridgewater, who knows if he'll be a starter for long. I hope he is, former Viking guy, but probably not. Um, and then Jake's got Locke and Roethlisberger. Roethlisberger's, you know, sort of palliative care type age. And again, who knows how Locke's going to play out as a... Uh, a, a QB at NFL level. So I think you know, I'm just going to take anyone that's a starter away from these guys because I get to play them both twice. And hopefully by that stage late in the year, a couple of QBs down might be just coasting to some easy percentage points. And, and the value of QB may take a shift from what it currently sits at 
in Jake's mind right now after just having him on the pod. So that will be interesting to look at. No idea what he said, but assumedly it didn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> now, Manny, I know you've uh, you've sort of shot down the running back position, but it's a stock standard question we've been asking because, quite frankly, it's just solidified what I already knew. But you might you might answer this a bit differently. If you had the number one pick, uh, who would you have taken? I would have taken probably Mahomes, but I would have certainly traded out of it because I just, given everyone else thinks CMC, and I, I got a sense that would probably be the case anyway. I think I had a look at some ADP and he was ranked one for Dynasty. And I think if there's ever a running back that I'd be tempted to take, it would be him. But I just still think three years from now, he might be a shadow of informed self. And you only got to look at a guy like a Todd Gurley or a Melvin Gordon, how good they were two years ago and where they are today. It's, it's a very steep cliff for running backs. And my first crack at Dynasty, I don't want to be walking around with a completely battered team three years from now. So I was pretty keen to stay away from him. It's not the, not the first bloke who said that he would trade out of the number one. Um, I, I sort of I made it clear that there wasn't a lot of offers. So um, it's a very interesting hypothetical. Um, what, what would you have looked for? Let, let, I haven't actually asked anyone this, but what would you have looked for in return for a number one pick? I would have probably been happy to take a, a switch of rounds one, two, and four. So I'd get a, an upgrade in round two and I'd get an upgrade in round four. So I'd pick up a few picks. I, I mean, I think I probably would have shopped it a bit and I would have tried to get more, but I probably would have accepted that because especially if I could get a pick four or five, because I was pretty happy with who I was going to take there anyway. I didn't think other people would probably be looking at Michael Thomas, certainly not at two or three. So I'm probably going to get him. So, yeah, I probably wouldn't have been asking for a heap, heap. But fortunately, my horses couldn't run, so I was never in too much doubt that I was going to be getting anything for Nice. All right. I, I feel that there's a little bit of a contradiction. And it's probably the first time you tripped yourself up there because I think earlier you said uh, that you just developed your own strategy and you weren't going to Google things like the rest of us, but then you just dropped that you checked and, and Christian McCaffrey was sitting number one ADP on a lot of things that you Googled. So, anyway, look... I don't want to pick you up too much on contradictions, but I just feel that you've uh, you fired so many shots at other people that it's only fair to put it back on you. That being no, said, attempt, Ben, can I can I just to respond to that? No, nah, go. Think, why uh, not? <laughs> I, I think looking up a fantasy strategy is a little different from copy pasting a list of player names. And I, uh, as I said, when, when you get them from ADPs, and Christian McCaffrey sitting in the number one is not too hard to miss. So the the zero zero RB strategy you came up with, or was that that's a strategy that exists already? I assume it exists because you guys have been talking about zero RB, which I don't quite understand because I've got to play two of them. So I was never taking zero. I was just, <laughs> I was just completely deprioritizing them. Did you, um, did you, in your Google travels, I know you didn't do a heap of Google um, strategy <laughs> strategies for Dynasty, but um, did anywhere across there, did you see trading out your second, third and fourth round pick as a viable strategy? It's not one that I'd probably do. I'd definitely take advantage of it if in a different league someone uh, threw it out at me or if I was um, if I was on the, the receiving end of a Jimmy Hansen hospital pass, which I don't see as much of a hospital pass, to be honest. See a bit of a gift. But look, you know, each to their own. I'm, I'm, everyone else has commented on the fact they wish he was in their division and I probably can echo those sentiments. Uh, but look, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. If he's successful, I'm fair to more than happy to put my hand up and say I was wrong. 
There we go. We'll have to wait and find out. All right, the pick in the draft that you were happiest with and also what did you see your best value pick in the draft being? I was very excited when Tyreek Hill fell to me in the second round. But again, I sort of got a sense by about round four that based on other people's drafting strategies, it should have been less a surprise than I thought it was. Uh, I think the Hod made a comment on Deontay Johnson versus Ronald Jones. Um, I was actually really happy with the, with the Deontay Johnson pick. I know he's a little bit injured at the moment, but um, I really like him. And I, I think that everyone gets a big boost at the Steelers with Roethlisberger back this year. So I feel like he'll be good for me in the short term and he's got some upside long term. My big one though was really happy to get Will Disley late. And I don't know if anyone else rates him at all, but he looked really good last year before he pinged his Achilles like a Ben Parker hamstring. And they've got a pretty, pretty old, pretty average tight end room in front of him. So I feel like if he can get his body right, he's going to be a pretty handy guy. And I was very interested to hear the insights you guys talked to around the tight end bonus points and some of the strategies people went drafting there. I was really keen to go harder on tight ends and the draft just didn't play out in a way that allowed me to do it. But to get a third, what I see in a couple of years time was pretty, pretty good startable tight end on my roster at that later draft pick. I was very happy with. Very good. Um, Your confidence is sky high. That's not hard to see or listen to here, but if we can try and bring it down a little bit, if you had your time again in the draft, uh, we'll extend it, but would you do anything differently, whether that be strategy or um, one of the picks that you you weren't too happy with um, post-draft? There was a few guys that took players I had a keen eye on. I think both the McMahons took a few guys that I was keen to get. Jake took a couple. Um, Keeney pinched one or two. Um, I think the, the clear mistake was guys, just character can never... You can never, uh, you know, put too high value on that. And I probably got a bit excited, just like any team that's made the mistake of drafting, well, the Josh Gordons of the world over the last couple of years or the Antonio Browns. So that's probably my big one. Um, but, but look, I think there's always a few guys you, you'd, you'd probably, if you knew you could get them, but you had to take them around early, you'd take them. But generally speaking, I was pretty happy. So I'll just quickly touch on that. Where... When you don't value the running back position, when you get to the eighth round when you were and you're staring down a guys, um, there were a few red flags with him, but like obviously this is in hindsight. He's got he's um, gone now, but given you didn't have a running back then, are you forcing your hand? Is that is there any desperation, if for lack of a better word, at that point, and then you have to pull the trigger on someone like that with a red flag or? Just talk us through that moment in the eighth. So I wasn't absolute that I had to take someone that round. I would have potentially waited even a bit longer. I really drafted running backs around age. I still thought, I was sort of looking at a group of guys and still thinking I've got time to get four or five of them. Um, So I was looking for guys that are 23, 24. As I said, running backs have a very short career anyway. I don't really rate any of them in this format. So I feel like, if I can take a few guys at that 23, 24 age, hopefully a couple of them hit, they get me through those two positions. I never intend to start a running back in any of my flex positions. So I just have a strong wide receiver crop. So I got carry on. I think he's 23, Breeders 25, Geist 23, Marlon Mack, who I had to trade in for afterwards because I sort of thought I was too soft running back wise 
um, post-draft. He's only 24, I think. Um, so, look, I, I sort of, I think, drafted Jalen Samuels. He's 23 or 24 from memory. So, I figured I'm just going to take a crop of them. Um, in hindsight, I would have waited longer, to be honest with you. I know the eighth round sounds very late, and I, I did a quick check before I came on, and there were 30 running backs taken before I took any. But I just felt no pressure because there were still enough guys who were going to have meaningful chances to contribute over the next two years. And I'm going to be looking to bring new ones in through the draft in that time anyway. And in fairness with the Darius Geist pick as well, I think he, in terms of actual reps on an NFL field, he hasn't really, um, didn't really have any. So you could argue his body was, you know, not battered and bruised. He's obviously had his injuries, but you could say he's kind of almost a rookie second year player um, without a whole lot of um, wear and tear on the body at the moment. Um, just to, to finish up, mate, I, I will say there's probably one person listening to this kind of just rubbing his hands together, just thinking, yeah, maybe I did make the right choice here. And that's Matty Mack with the Prestige Worldwide. He might just be sitting there going, see, I was right all along. I might have to take this quote down because Steve Mann has come across as a very, very astute dynasty player early days. I mean, he talks a massive game, so we'll have to wait and see. But we, that could be a masterstroke in the end. Um, just to finish off, mate, Make a case for your team winning this division this year. I think there's some pretty big weaknesses. I know you guys really rated two of the teams, um, Benny's and mine not being them, but I see some massive weaknesses at quarterback in both of those teams. Um, I, I don't think that depth as we see it, you know, you, your kind of top 10 players is going to be the full picture in a year like this. You've got to have much, much deeper depth. And I think that tests everyone. So as good as your top 15 guys look, we're probably starting 20th guys this year. I think that's the type of year that we've got. Um, I think that I've got a lot of guys with upside. I'm I'm sort of taking, a, I guess, a bit of a hedge strategy around, I think my team can easily be the strongest team in my division this year, but also I feel very, very good about where I am a year from now, two years from now. And I feel most guys in the league have gone down one path or the other. So... I think I might be completely wrong because running backs might just absolutely, you know, stay healthy for the next 10 years and score all the points in this league. But um, from where I sit, I, I feel pretty good that I've drafted an upside team. And I think going back to that initial principle that I feel like we're all sort of figuring it out, I'd rather be different because at least I'm not competing with anyone in what I'm trying to do. I think uh, Einstein said that if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, We'll all live, live our lives thinking we're stupid. And I reckon uh, if, you, if you pay too much attention to the advice of some of the people on this podcast and some of the others who, who think that certain players are great and certain players aren't, we're all probably fish climbing trees. I think Matty McMahon can take a bit of that note out of that one as well. Well, that's just another quote I'm going to have to add to the study. That, that sits right next to Michael Jordan and Wayne Gretzky, that one. Wow. <laughs> My goodness. Well... You know what? You've come on here. You have, I don't think you've missed anyone. <laughs> your assessment Wrong. of your team and the league. You've confirmed Matt's theory by quoting Einstein at the end of all of these thoughts. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on, mate. And thanks for being part of this. Thanks very much, Ben. And it, it, it's great to be part of this second-rate production. <laughs> well, well, following that note, I was going to say... Um, um, Actually, very much looking forward to having a beer with you, Manny. Uh, these insights have been tremendous and I've taken away a few notes from it. Um, and just, just having look, uh, 
a little looksy down at the Zoom box here with Keeney. There's he's enamoured with you. There's something going on. There's a love fest from Keeney towards Manny here. I, I I look forward to having a beer with a lot of you and seeing how close you two get on a night out. Very very similar football abilities. Just real. <clears throat> they actually they actually have a fence around the oval to keep us in. That's how that's how close the inside <laughs> ball we get. Um, so maybe it's it might be something to do with that. I, I'm a big fan of Kenny too. He made me a lot of money on Brownlow night back before he was unable to punt due to working in the league. So I do miss those days. But um, he's he's definitely got a he's got a few ticks in my box for life because of that. Wow! After uh, after all those little backhanded digs, we finished on a very positive note. I didn't think we were going to get there. Uh, so thanks for being on, mate. And uh, I'm sure there is no doubt we will have you on again very soon. Pleasure. and look forward to having a beer with you all when we get out of lockdown. And here we are with our third and final member of the Bo Callahan division. We've got the general manager of the Bayside Executioners, Scoot. Welcome to the pod, mate. How are you? Good. Thanks, fellas. Yourselves? Very good. Thank you. Much better now. Much better now that you're here. I'm excited, Scooter. I should go all Marshall and Lynch on you and just not do anything. The two division foes of yours who you are following have set a very high bar, let's put it that way. It's going to be a very good pod, so don't, as Tim McMahon would say, f*** this up. And there's and there have been some, early, <clears throat> some nice early clips from other league members, so feel free to get involved in that. Oh, yeah. Well, they're not even real humans. Like they're... <laughs> But it's Burton Ernie. I'm not even going to learn their names. <laughs> yes, here we go. All right, we've already started. So let's start on track here. Um, you've obviously heard the review of your team. How did we go, Scoot? Yeah, well, I thought it was pretty good. You guys were pretty on the money. The, the team I drafted I thought was pretty good. It's, it, it is in a sort of window for early success. The But, yeah, there's a lot of depth in it. There's a few, a few areas for concern but the uh, for the most part you guys got a pretty pretty bang on oh that's that's very tame i'm happy <laughs> well, well i can't go i can't go against it the two of you is well, i'm pretty sure you all said that I, that I drafted really well when he's on your twos so you're gonna draft his shit <laughs> yeah that's right like i've come out and said scooter win the division so he's not really gonna have a, have a ping at that is he i think he's pretty comfortable with that that's <laughs> he's good. got two two division winning predictions and a dark horse i think was what we gave so and yeah i've always got to be careful about what i say because i live in a state of fear that kenny will kick me out of the league the, um... <laughs> Real dictatorship. he's got more power in this one mate if i'm not, if I'm not, if I'm not communicating it before we to keep his level who knows where i'll end up <laughs> Yeah. Who are you? Who are you alluding to there, Scoot? Oh, the commish, the commish that uh, could possibly be Vladimir Putin. <laughs> the so Putin. rule is, if you don't, if you don't com- contribute anything to the league, you, you're on your last warning. Is that what you're oh, saying? It's, it's not even just that. If you just don't contribute to Keeney's standards that he won't actually set, but then just judges. <laughs> I, I think that's reasonable. I think so there's, no, there's, no code, there's no code book that says how we have to how we have to behave in the league, but we just live in constant fear that we could it could be our last day at any day. <laughs> well, uh, we'll have to call you Keithy from now on. I think that's who you're alluding to, Hadrian Keith. Righto, righto, right, Scooter. What do you want to know? Nah, well, we want to know first off, um, kind of how much 
research did you put into this? First time dynasty player, did you go all out searching for different types of strategy? You had pick 10, so you're kind of at the back end of the draft the whole way through. You didn't really make too many trades. So having that kind of back end turn um, is always a bit different to different positions, obviously. Did you have much strategy going in? Yeah, so I was actually happy where I picked. So I either wanted to be picking in the top three to sort of thing to the bottom three so that I had the bookends at each end of the draft. My thought process always on it was that if which if I was at either end, then I could control the draft actually happening sort of thing. So when you've got, you've got that small gap between your picks, then when you're going for your plays, you could see them and you could see what you actually had in front of you. Then based on the teams picking around that area, what you thought might still be around and you could start to have a bit of a go at it. So I, I, that's why I wasn't that keen to trade out of those spots because I was always reluctant to give up that advantage on the on the back end coming back around and having control. So the way I always prep for this stuff, and I, it's different to the auction one. The auction one's a little bit different, but for snake drafts, I always do it, my rankings, have the players all set up, ready to go. And then basically I just let everything fall to me sort of thing and see, what, see what's going on. I never take into it a list of these are the guys I have to have. I never have those guys. It's always, this is just my ranking. And then I'm surprised if someone falls and if they go sort of thing. And, and that's how it is. Very good. Uh, I, I do like that at the start, you basically agreed with our summary of, of you and your team. And so that kind of just confirms the old scoot hubris that I brought up in the pod, um, that you are a fan of your own work and you are a fan of the way that you go about things. So also just how you picked in the, in the draft there confirms that there that uh, when the talent falls to you, you just make the decisions that uh, suit your team. <laughs> well, it is it's, 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 it is interesting because the way that you guys actually put me on my ass a little bit because the way I, you, a few of you guys drafted completely threw me out because I, I do a lot of mocks leading up to it based on the fact that I want to get a lot of different situations happen so that then I can know how my team's going to still shape later. Sort of thing. So the more the more prep I put into that sort of stuff, then the more idea I have of how the team's going to shape depending on which way it goes. Now, when you guys were drafting some of these players early, and I was like, "Well, wait a minute, this is this has." I was getting that guy in the the eighth and tenth round, and he's going out the third, and I was like, "What the fuck's going on?" And I, I I had to really keep changing, chopping and changing to try and keep up with whatever I was doing. Yeah, the old mock drafts can be a bit misleading uh, in a dynasty format. I would have thought. Can I just say, Scoot, um, that plan of not having a couple of guys, one or two guys locked and loaded that you definitely wanted to get. Coming from experience with Operation Juju, that is a fantastic <laughs> strategy. I won't be doing that again. Yeah, and, and I do drift away from it. Like you saw in the middle of the draft where I definitely went after Pollard and Madison. Like that was a set play because I really wanted them sort of thing. So I, I will pivot at some stage. But yeah, I don't I don't go in and say, yeah, I have to. I don't, I don't go in and say, I have to have a Juju. I have to have that play. Very good. All right, well... We've, we've picked 10 in the first round. So you, you, as you said, you wanted to either be in the top three or the, the end three, so you had those turns. So were you hesitant at all about taking Dalvin Cook there? Were you laughing at the fact that he fell to you at the 10th pick? Um, obviously, there was a bit of doubt with his contract situation and everything. So just talk us through your thoughts there. Uh, not hesitant at all. I, I think I, my thoughts on it were that with what, what Melvin Gordon did last year, I didn't think the running backs would really want to take a bit of time off because it didn't work that well for him. Um, so I, I don't think the running backs are in the power position they, they used to be. So I'm not, I wasn't that concerned. Plus, it's a dynasty. He's only, what, 24. 
So even if it happens for a short period of time, it's only a year thing and this isn't a year, it's not a redraft. So I wasn't that worried about it. So when it came up, when he, when he fell, I was I was really surprised. I thought, oh, wait a minute, this has actually worked out really well. So it's it's a weird um, change of play by the league because now, now the players have to opt into training camp, whereas previously they'd just hold out all the way through. But now they obviously um, attend to not get fined. But I'm hearing now that they do that, but then as soon as week one arrives, they can hold out again with no punishment. So, oh, okay. Because I, I thought because it used to be they would get fined and the club to give them the money back, and then it's changed recently where they now get fined, they have to pay the money, which was always something that, that that I thought would sway these guys not to do it. Correct. So yeah, now it's sort of flipped from the season to the um, training camp, but they could hit. so Cook can still hold out. Um, he just has to play six games for the year. So um, what, what are your thoughts on that? And what, what's your ideal scenario? Keeney sort of touched on it um, a little bit with... So yeah, I, I drafted... I, I did draft Madison and Pollard for a reason. And my thought process was, A, Jake had Zeke. So if Zeke goes down, I get Pollard. So I get the number one running back at Dallas. And it's, it's a massive swing my way. Whereas if he had Zeke, he's obviously got a power player there. Um, Madison was, was the cover for Cook as Cook has shown some injury concerns but my thought process was too they were also pretty young as well both of them is that at the end of this contract either Zeke and Cook get moved on and they stay and they take up the role or they get moved on to another team and they take up a role so ideally they get moved on in a year or two because they, they want a new contract and that sort of thing and, and they end up as a starting running back somewhere I've got a, I got a couple of questions just on that mate um, first one Alexander Madison, which we've just discussed now, was a good pick for you considering you had Dalvin Cook. Now, Teddy Bridgewater in the ninth and then Madison in the tenth. How close were you to pulling the trigger? And was that tricky trying to work out how long can I leave this until I take Madison? Yeah, definitely. So that's why the trade happened with Papa. The trade happened with Papa is that I couldn't justify taking him there. And I wanted both of them, but I didn't want to show my hand early on. So I didn't want to show everyone my hand at that position and take Madison and let everyone know that I've taken a backup in Madison and that that might be a play for me and then give Jake the idea to then go and take Pollard that same round. So my thought process was, and that's why a lot of people thought that I went a bit easy on Papa, but I didn't because it was really in my interest to get down that end of the draft where I could have those two quick picks in a row. And, and back down to that three spot. So all I want to do is get down there so then I can get Madison and everyone can say, oh, yeah, he's just taken his handcuff because my intention was then I was going Pollard straight away. And, and the Pollard pick, is that purely because Jake's in your division? I, a lot of it had to do with that sort of thing. It's just, and, but I also know that I, I've got a theory on running backs that eventually their body starts to fall apart. <laughs> Sort of thing. So it's not a theory, it's, it's more fact. But the so the thought process is as Zeke's taking a bit of a punishment, it's going to happen at some stage. He hasn't had a lot of injuries and things like that. He's going to miss time. So it, it, he's going to miss time. Cook's obviously missing time and things like that. So having those sort of guys that were coming into a high scoring offense, that so the, the Madison situation in, in Minnesota, you know they're going to run the ball. And the situation in Dallas is you know they've got a high power offense that's going to score. You think. Um... You just noted on that running back theory. Do you think Jerry Jones knows that? Because what was the <laughs> recent contract for Zeke? It was a long one, wasn't it? Yeah, but that's Jerry. Jerry likes to give contracts. The <laughs> <laughs> like you, you have a look at Jerry's history. Most most of our players get their contracts. Like they, yeah. and Dak's the only one that hasn't. And I don't I don't think that's got anything to do with Dallas. I think that's Dak. Yeah. Well, that's it. We, we deal with enough Dak talk on our group, so let's leave him out of this. Um, 
Let's get to uh, Devontae Adams. So you, you took him off the board um, and, you know, Michael Thomas is probably in his own tier. So he's the next best available. Yep. Was that a clear-cut decision with your second pick over getting another running back? Uh, or yeah, was I, I, probably, I probably might have taken him with the first pick. The, um, I, I just think in that situation, he's still got Rodgers. He's still the lone one there. There's not a, I, I just think I, I thought that Rodgers would be pissed about not getting a lot of support. And that he might just turn around and say to Adams, you know what, it's just me and you, we're going to do this sort of thing. So um, we know they feel comfortable together. We know that that's what he's going to do. So I, I just thought that to get those two there, when I saw when I saw Cook come, come in and I saw Adams there, I had wanted someone like Joe Mixon. So when he was taken just before all that sort of thing, I was like, all right, well, these are the guys that have just been taken before you, so you're probably just going to have to let that one go. Yeah, so you you know you clearly value the, the running back and receiver. Uh, hypothetically, was quarterback ever in the mix there at two hundred three if Murray and Prescott had fallen? Yeah, I thought I thought I reached in the twenty um, fifth round or more, um, but if I had to do my time again, <laughs> I'd probably <laughs> if I probably if I had to do my time again, I probably wouldn't have taken Staff, and I might have taken like a Jones or something like that, or a. A, um, one of the younger quarterbacks to pair with Bridgewater. I was pretty keen on Bridgewater. I think he's going to be in a Jameis Winston situation. So, the um, but yeah, I might have gone a bit younger there. Sorry, I, I yeah, I've, to... I've been I've been a bit angry about the more picks since I did it. I had to get the bloody draft board up and have a look at who you're actually talking about. <laughs> oh, David Moore from Seattle. Household name. What's his name? <laughs> What's his the, name? Um, but yeah, I've, I've been. I've been, I've been upset about that pick since I made it. The, I felt I reached in that round. <laughs> well, Scooter, I think there's been some um, talk in this league early days, obviously before we've even started, and there's a bit of a division between some teams of going in for this year, maybe one, two, three years, and then some, some other teams that have a more youthful sort of squad um, and looking to the future, which has been interesting to look at. How much of this being a, obviously a dynasty draft and... Um, and all that. How much did that play into the way you looked at drafting? Was age a big factor? Was it more, let's win now, not worry too much about the age? How'd you go I about it? I wasn't worried that much about the age because the way I was drafting wasn't old players anyway. They were all between that 25 and 27, 28 mark. So I, I knew that they still had two to three years plus sort of thing for some of these guys. So I, I definitely wouldn't have gone with um, Pappas thing of getting guys like Breeze and, and Brady for that I think he's drafted on like a one-week strategy. The um, so I, I I wouldn't have done that, and I probably wouldn't have gone the the pedophilia way that Ben went. But the um, <laughs> somewhere but, in the <laughs> but I, I, I just I, I can see what guys were doing. I just think they went too far that way. So I, I look at I look at some of those teams where they're having to start maybe three or four rookies, and not all of them. Are going to work out, and I get that it's a really high, high, high risk, sorry, high risk, high reward if they come off. But there's a chance that they they don't come off, and you could end up rebuilding your team for the next three or four years. So I, I could see. So I, my thing was, I wanted I wanted some of those guys that the guys grabbed, but I didn't want them until later in the thing where they would be sitting on my bench, sort of thing. And then if they worked, they worked, and if they didn't, they didn't. And I just keep drafting players. You know, I just couldn't justify having more than one in my starting lineup. Anything to add on that, Ben? It's kind of at you. And Keeney, actually, we keep forgetting how young your oh, squad is. Yeah, I was going to say that to old, old, Teflon, old Teflon Keeney, nothing sticks to him. I seem to cop the old youngest 
list thing, but you've come out now a couple of times hard and said that I actually don't in fact have the youngest list. It's no, just, it's all, uh, it's fake news as a popular uh, person in the media once said, I don't know why I'm comparing myself to him though. Um, no, I, I get your point. I also just think that it, it's sort of perceived. I think that some teams are going to have to start certain youth because you look at what, you know, and I agree with Hod's assessment that Tim, did a similar thing to what I did that whilst we took young, you know, players, rookies, we also took players that have like maybe two years left uh, as well. So they can fill the gap, hopefully in the time it takes for those guys yeah. to develop. Um, one of the things I, I'm glad, one of the things I'm glad I didn't do in my prep was give Tim a call for any sort of draft strategy and things like you, that. You didn't yeah, just, I'm, 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 actually, I'm actually surprised or... he turned up. The, um, <laughs> and then when you hear Maddie speak last week, because Maddie was also last week, and I actually didn't realise he put in as much time as what he did and was as smart as what he did. And then you try and work out which one of them has the ring. And that must hurt Maddie every day to wake up every day knowing that he tries so hard and has got so little out of it. <laughs> and, <laughs> And Tim is just coasting, coasting through life. <laughs> Didn't even know about Superflex. Doesn't even know what a tight end premium is. Turns up on the day of the draft. I'm surprised he didn't write something on his hand. Well, you say Timos, you're surprised Timos um, even turned up. I can tell you on Saturday morning, he certainly didn't turn up. He claims to work. Claims to work. Um, so what part did the Superflex and tight end premium play in your draft? I know you've sort of touched on it there, but, you know, looking at your draft, you haven't addressed quarterback till the eighth and ninth round and then tight end at 12th. You've also gone on to pick up, you know, those players a bit later. Was that always the strategy or were you reacting simply to what was going on around you? I, I actually thought that I would be able to get... I was really keen on Hurst. So Hurst, although saying I don't have a guy, Hurst was someone that I was really, really keen on sort of thing. So I just thought if I could get him in those later rounds, then that would just be... He would. He was, I have a feeling he's going to score really well, so I wasn't that worried about it. Um, but I just thought that... I, I get that the tight end premium score, but you're only talking maybe, what, one to three or four of those tight ends are going to score like that. So once Kelsey and Kittle go off the board... Andrews, I'm not as big on as everyone else. I think Lamar had a really efficient time with him last year and expecting Lamar to do that again is not guaranteed. And, and I, I get that teams, like he, he had a massive season last year, but maybe teams start to work him out a little bit more and they start to find ways to make him throw. Because if you watch the ball float out of Lamar's hand, if, Dak, if the ball flew out of Dak's hand like that, he'd be getting picked off every second week or every second throw sort of thing. So the I, I just wasn't that keen on Andrews. So when that started to fall that way, I was like, all right, let's just worry about those tight ends later. I, I am concerned about the tight end position. If a couple of my quarterbacks go down, I'm in trouble. The, um, I will be hoping that Tua doesn't start. That was my thought process behind Fitz, is that Tua doesn't start and they may give him a redshirt year for much of the year. But the, the I just, just saw the thing, what was it yesterday, when he threw the 70-yard touchdown, so that's probably not going to happen. I was just, um, I'm just looking at the draft board and I think Hurst is tremendous value at the 12-3. Uh, let's yeah. play a hypothetical. If, you, if that didn't fall to you, these are the next names that you had. Dallas Goddard, uh, Rob Gronkowski, Ian Thomas, Blake Jarwin, who's a little sleeper here, ladies and gentlemen, uh, OJ Howard, and then the infamous Cole Komet. So I think, I think well, you've nailed the pick there, but talk us through if, if he didn't fall. What, where would you have gone there? 
Yeah, so if he doesn't fall, then I'm, I'm probably, I was looking at guys like, so obviously I end up taking um, the the tight end from the Jets, who I'm hoping has a better year than what he did last year. The, the, but I, I was, yeah, I was thinking that I, I wouldn't, have taken, wouldn't have taken Gronk, um, but I was thinking that maybe Goddard with uh, Goddard, Goddard, <laughs> with the, <laughs> sorry, enough, Brendan. We, talked, we were talking about Goddard before. <laughs> we talked about it before. Um, I, I think I think uh, Zach Ertz has a chance to have one of those injured seasons as well. So I was thinking about Dallas for a big part of that draft as well. But I, I don't I don't think people should sleep on Jack Doyle either. I think what Rivers has shown a liking for picking out tight ends in the end zone, and I got him really late. And I was knew I was going to get him late as well, knowing that Rivers likes to throw to his tight ends in the end zone. Eighteenth round, oh, you got him. Really? I actually haven't, I do agree with Doyle, he'll be steady. I actually haven't really paid attention to, you've ended up with three really good tight ends, given where you've waited to take them. Um, Hurst could be anything in that high pass offense. Herndon could be the number two on the team. Um, and then Doyle's steady. So it's actually fallen your way pretty well there. Yeah. Um, we'll move on to... Just quickly, Hyde, it's, it's good to know that you... You clearly listen to your other pod members because I'm pretty sure that was the strength of uh, Scoot's team that I pointed out in uh, our assessment of him. But no, thanks, thanks for for listening to what your other. Pod- you talk, you talk about Hottie. Haven't, you, haven't you heard the saying? It's always hard to fill a cup that's already thinks it's full. The um... it's probably more a reflection on I, I just don't listen to you, Benny. But, um, the, let's move on to the trading. You sort of touched on it. Um, or the lack of trading, you, you like the position on the turn where you were. So I won't go too deep into that, but we've we've obviously had Papa's right of reply on and he felt he got off very light with you. So talk us, firstly, talk us through that trade um, and then give us some background or if any, did, did any other trades fall through for you throughout the draft? So I am known to trade in the other league as well, but it's always with me, there has to be something in it for the both of us. So, like Kenny and I trade a lot, sort of thing, and and it's it's always those trades where we look at it and go, okay, I can see what he's trying to do. This is what I'm trying to do. We can both get a win out of this, or we can go either way. That's really enticing. I'll have a look at it. So, obviously, because I wanted to get down that end of the the board, and I wanted to get down there quickly, I I knew that as long as I, I just knew we were swapping picks, and that I was going to be basically the same trade. And then I I actually threw in the second next year as a bit of a around and say, hey. The let's just let's just throw it in there just to see who gets the the better of the two picks and see what happens. Um, <laughs> sorry, guys, that's not bad. I've got the half final without swearing. I swear in board meeting, I swear. Well, you, that's actually the second one you've dropped. I didn't want to pull, pull you up on it. It comes yeah. that naturally to you, mate. When you say when you say throw it in there, are you talking about the second rounder or a little f bomb? <laughs> it was just, it was the second rounder, and I did hear him say that he reckons it's going to be a bottom second rounder, the um, or whatever he thought it was, a top top five pick in the second. Same round. same bloke who thinks that uh, Brady's going to play on for another five years though, so I wouldn't think too much. About <laughs> I heard him say that Brady's got another three in him. <laughs> the um, like seriously, the guy the guy is the most delusional person I know. He's still the only one that carries around that little certificate that says he won a ring. It's not even a real ring. So a, a common theme we've heard from this division is sort of have been looking at the division foes and fleecing them, if you like. Did, did you think you let Papper off there, knowing that his quarterback situation, did you deep dive into that position with him and think you could have got or hold him at ransom a bit? 
Look, there was some other side of it too, is that I was watching Keane Hughes take quarterbacks nonstop and I thought, he's doing this because he knows he's just trying to piss Papper off. So I was just like, all right, let's let him up here. Let's get his quarterback because then it starts to stuff around a few of these other squads that have been taking quarterbacks when they didn't really need them. Um, I, I actually thought about that a little bit and went, well, these guys have been taking quarterbacks they don't need. Let's bring Papper in there and let him take one. And then all of a sudden, these guys are loaded into a position they don't have and they're, they're going to be a, a sort of bit sort of low in other areas. But I, I, I got a few trade-offs through the whole thing. Most of them weren't that serious. I'm pretty, well, I'd imagine when I trade, I usually let you guys know why I don't agree with the trade or what I'm, I'm, what I'm seeing, that sort of stuff. The only, the only one that probably got a little bit worried about it was uh, old Benny Boy when he tried to trade back into the, uh, the low end of the eighth round. And he felt that the way to trade into the eighth round and get me completely out of the eighth round was to offer me a future second. <laughs> I did. This is a perfect forum that, to just air no, no, I, I, All I was doing was simply floating something out there. Because I suppose what you don't know is you don't know what people rate uh, startup picks, future picks, all that. So I did... I spoke well, about I a future know. second, I didn't, and I didn't, rate, I didn't rate future picks. In a, I got in a very, I got a very prompt response that Scoot is not a fan of future picks. Uh, <laughs> probably wasn't, wasn't the exact way that he well, worded. I'm pretty sure the conversation went. The conversation <laughs> went. He said through the offer, and I just wrote back, "No, I'm good, thanks." And he goes, "You're not even going to counter." And I went, "Counter what? That's a book. That's a bull offer." <laughs> and, and he said, "You're coming up, and you're offering that crap." Either you put the effort in or I'm making my pick. <laughs> so yeah, no, it was, uh, I was more feeling the waters and I, I got a very strong <laughs> sense of, of what the waters were like after that response. They were cold. Well, then you try to come back with, well, it's not my fault you don't trade. He's trying to come back with, it's not my fault you don't trade. <laughs> I don't trade off crap offers. <laughs> the, um... Well, we'll see. Because I think you took Montgomery, didn't you, there? And he's, uh, he's now injured. So anyway, we'll yeah, see how that. that pans out. Speaking of, lovely segue. Um, just to just to round off your team at the minute. So obviously we've touched on Dalvin Cook and um, his issues with his holdout or his contract. Um, you've obviously got some nice backup there with Madison, but your second one off the board, David Montgomery. Geez, you would have had some heart palpitations this morning when he was carted off at practice. That could have been uh, a disaster. And then James Connor, your third, and then a. I think it kind of dies out a little bit after that. How are you feeling overall with the depth of your running backs? Yeah, I'm starting to think I have holistic powers with the way I drafted because I've definitely drafted a team that might need some ambulance work. The uh, I hope they paid up all their membership. But yeah, I, I, I must have jinxed it the other day when I said we were all getting really good news about our players every day because then I woke up and had Montgomery. That first thing I said, he's, he's done his knee. And it was, I had another player too that walked off, limped off the, the track today as well. But yeah, look, if Connor comes back to normal and doesn't get hurt, I think even in the games he's played, he's still been one of the highest rated um, running backs in, in all games he's played. So I wasn't too concerned with that. I'm, the Monty one I was, because I was expecting Monty to take on a big workload this year. So the, we'll see how that goes. Well, it wouldn't, wouldn't be the first time you've had a few heart palpitations there, Scoop, but I'll move on quickly. <laughs> My heart rate is always at a nice 180 beats per minute. 180? <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice resting heart rate. It's so um, crispy. It's a resting heart rate at 180. It's more of a hum at that point, I reckon. <laughs> hey, the hum thing is. Um, so, question we've been asking everyone uh, if you had the number one pick, who would you have taken? I would have traded it out. So, I, oh, 
Third one. I, I spoke. I actually spoke to Kenny about this before you took your pig. Was that I, I wasn't a fan of CMC. Not that he's not a superstar. I just thought with the workload that he's had, that that's going to be a short-term thing that he may his body may start to fall apart. So my thought process was I would have taken, I would have got out of there, and but not for the picks you guys. I wouldn't have been looking for a war chest. I probably would have been looking for even if it was one in the sixth or seventh or eighth or a couple around that area or one in that sort of between that seven and ten range, and then a future. I would have just taken that. So it, I, because yeah, if I was only moving down maybe if I was only moving down four or five spots, then I still would have got a really quality player. Sort of thing. So I still get if I come down four spots, I'm still getting like a Delvin Cook or a Kamara or those sort of guys, or, or take one of those quarterbacks, and then I'm bringing in that range, that eight to that seven to ten range, where I thought that was the range that was going to make and break people's drafts because you've got so much talent around that area that can can really do well and really do bad. That's why when people kept trading with, or not people, sorry, when James kept trading with Jake, all the <laughs> all these picks in that range, <laughs> the, um, I was getting a little bit frustrated. <laughs> It's um it's been very interesting that you're now the third um member of the league who has mentioned that a trade out of the first. We all say that, but none of us would have had the balls to do it. But I I also like though that you actually put a bit of thought into what you would have accepted for a trade, and I and I think that's a fair assessment that you said I wouldn't have even needed that much. It just would have been something a little extra to get out of there. So I think that's a. That's a pretty good and honest response there. All right, we'll keep it moving, though. With the draft, what was the pick you were happiest with? And what did you perceive? Yeah, Hurst, as Hurst, was, Hurst was definitely the one I was pretty happy with. Happiest with him? I just thought to, if, he, if he picks up Hoover's workload, um, I just think it's just an amazing spot to get him. And he could outscore sort of like a, an Andrews or something like that, and I got him a lot later. Nice. And what about your best value? Is that is that the best value there at 12? Or have you got a better value at David Moore at 25? Yeah, no, look, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm pretty upset about the more pick. I thought I could have done better there. The, um, <laughs> but no, I, I just thought where Hurst was, I, I was really keen with that one. He's so happy with those two selections that he's actually answered before the question came out. So, yeah. <laughs> as a bloke, as a bloke that's been on for 28 minutes, you'd think that he's keen to get out of here. Maybe the Bobbins are uh, back up in front at the running He's trying to get off this part. I'm running out of line. I filled this glass up to the top and it's starting to run out. The only reason would be if that bottle that he's drinking out of the, the neck of the bottle is just empty. But um, it's going to be it's going to be hard for old hubris Sheehan to answer this. But if you had your time again in the draft, uh, would you have changed any picks or would you have done any anything different with your strategy? Yeah, the Stafford one. I could have gone younger the quarterback then because I actually when I made that pick. I had a feeling I was going to start a QB run then once I started because I knew it was getting into that range of a few of the younger ones and I thought a few guys might jump here. So when I made that pick, I, I, had, I had a feeling it was going to start to happen, but I'm pretty sure the guys taken after were, what, Jones and Fant and those sort of guys, were they? Or were they chat? I mean, Fant's what a tight end, but that's okay. Um, Not Fant. Um, <laughs> Drew Locke. That's it. Yeah. Now, Daniel Jones, Kirk Cousins, Drew Locke, uh, Drew Brees. I don't think you would have had him on your board. Tua. Would you have taken any of those blokes instead of Stafford? Uh, I would definitely would have taken Jones. Yep. Good choice. Yeah, he, was, he was one I was thinking about. All right. Let's, uh, let's close this off. Scooter. So yes. I, think, I think that you think you're going to win the division. So with that in mind, how confident are you that you're going to knock Papper off specifically? Confident enough that we've already got bets going on our thing. The... He keeps trying to trade me Carson for Galladay. And 
I've ended up, we've ended up striking event on who will score the most fantasy points for the year. Carson, wow. Chris Carson. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be right because he took Carson in the seventh, and you took Galladay in the third. So that is that the yeah. that's the trade he wants, is it? That that's the trade he wants to do, and, yeah. and that's all he wants to come up with. And, so I think that sums up it. my assessment of Papa's trading, doesn't it? Unless it's all for him, he doesn't want to do it. Well, not enough is actually spoken about Papa's our assessment of Papa as a human, which we can talk about as well. If you want. <laughs> we probably don't have enough time. Yeah, no, we're already pushing it for time. It'll be a short chat. <laughs> <laughs> Who initiated that trade, just out of interest? Oh, he did. The, um, he, he did. I know Camo's been, was pestering me pretty early on for Monty. I think he's just so pestered I everyone. I got, I got the, yeah, I got the feeling he was pestering everyone because the guy he was trading to me was then shipped on very quickly to someone else. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, to be honest, I, when I actually finished the draft, I looked at the teams, I thought Jay's team, like I, I thought I was playing for... I thought Jake was going to win the division, but the more I've sort of looked at it, the more into it, the more confident I've got with mine if things go the right way. So I think we'll be the two teams that will fight it out. But, yeah, I've sort of got the feeling that mine actually might be a bit better than his. Well, mate, we got you on the pod. We got you to uh, have a right of reply, break down your thoughts of the division and your team, and, and you finished on the perfect hubris note saying, basically, I've got the best team in the division there. So we wouldn't have had it any other way, mate. Thanks for being part of it and thanks for being on. No problems. Have a good night. And there we have it. Uh, Some in-depth analysis from the Bo Callahan division there and some absolute characters that we've had on the pod this week. Yes, uh, a common theme here, boys, is each division member seemed to have strategized against each other through the draft, which I find very fascinating and that could be a very... Advantageous. Oh, might have another go at that one. <laughs> Advantageous strategy. <laughs> oh, from, that was a bit of a Razio. Oh, yes, yeah, very that needs to be in the intro. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought that was very interesting by the boys, um, and they've adapted quite well. So, what was your take, Kenny? If you can just get yourself together here. <laughs> Amazing. Now, I uh, enjoyed that division breakdown. There was uh, a lot of great insight there. And I reckon some savvy owners in the Bo Callahan division, Ben, you'd be a little little concerned with the, the information, the planning, the strategy in that division. I think it was pretty strong. Not at all, mate. You've um, got to, uh, to be the best, you've got to beat the best. And I think we are the best division. So as one of those fellow members, I think it's going to be an entertaining division for years to come. And one other takeaway that I found from listening to those three guys is they're just there's no love lost in this division. Just the amount of cracks at each other and they did not miss. So there's a bit of spice in the Bo, Hall- Bo Callahan division and it's, uh, it's good to see. There's some good rivalries already. That's I think that's the thing as well. Like These rivalries that are going to open up within divisions over the years is going to be fantastic. That's, that's one thing I really like that we're, we're keeping the divisions consistent every year. Get some genuine rivalries going on. Well, uh, next week we're going to be back again, but this time with a bit of a, I guess just tying everything together uh, to prepare for the upcoming fantasy and NFL season. So we'll go over some of our um, overall takes of the entire league. We'll sort of rehash some of the rules for all of those members like Papa who haven't bothered to read the startup document. 
uh, that'll be a helpful pod for some of those boys out there. So make sure you tune in, make sure you listen. Uh, We'll have plenty to keep you engaged and entertained next week. See you, boys. Pleasure. You know the deal, boys. Podcast over and out. (laughs) Burjo! (laughs) Oh, it's never going to get on.